afternoon from Sunny Blacksmiths. Yesterday I received in the mail my little new toy which is the M-Wave 2. It's based on the heart math principle. It's to do with heart rate variability. It's a, it's a device, a little handheld device about as big as a credit card but much thicker and it measures your levels of stress but it also allows you to control your levels of stress so it's a biofeedback device it's got a little indicator light and when so you put you touch it with your finger or you attach this little thing to your earlobe and connect it up and through that it detects your pulse rate and what it's measuring is the variability in your pulse rate from when you inhale to when you exhale. So the pulse, the actual speed of your heart rate is a little bit different in inhalation to what it is in exhalation. And how much it varies is a measure of how stressed you are. So you detach yourself to it, it measures your pulse rate and then it comes up with this little light and the light can be red if you are very stressed or it can be blue if you're in between or it can be green if you're very unstressed and in a calm state. At least that's my rudimentary understanding of this device so far. But the beauty of it is it doesn't just tell you how, you're how much you're stressed, which you kind of know yourself but you kind of don't because in theory if we were all um, really good at tuning into ourselves and understanding our sensations and listening and paying attention to our sensations and discriminating in fine detail between different sensations then yes we would know exactly where we were and we wouldn't need a red blue or green light but I'm not and I don't think a lot of people in the modern world are so it's quite helpful in that regard because it's teaching me to detect the little signs and the signs are so subtle I was playing with it um, and it would show a red light and then it would show a blue light and then it would show a green light and I was like but I don't feel any different but if I really paid attention I did there was some tiny little tightness across the sternum a little tightness in the belly and these are really small things that I'm still not very good at detecting but when I keep practicing I'm planning to do at least two or three sessions a day I'll get better and better at, the, at detecting them so eventually I will know what state I'm in but the fantastic thing about it is you can control the light with your thoughts <laughs> it's like moving objects with your thoughts um, so if they recommend that you focus they did give some recommendations to think about the area of your heart or I can't even remember the other ones but I was just playing with um, I was thinking about the area of my heart um, and, and just I was more playing with different thoughts so if I thought about something that was a task or something I had to do or that I had to remember to do or that this thing wasn't working or that I had to send an email to someone or I must remember to pay that bill I was in the red and when I was just gazing at the leaves on the tree outside my window and not thinking about anything in particular I was in the green zone so it's both um, a measurement and a way of exercising control over one's state, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and I'm really looking forward to 
seeing how it goes over the next few weeks. I saw some rave reviews on the internet, but obviously we always see rave reviews. Doesn't mean it's going to be good for me, but I'm going to give it a go. And coincidentally, someone gave me this chart of the polyvagal chart about, um, I think the guy's called Stephen Porges or Porges, who um, said or created the polyvagal theory. I could be wrong. He has something to do with it. And this diagram, um, I, I was interested in it because I talked recently about fight, flight and freeze. And I said how I'm often in freeze mode, I think, and how the three different states can have different um, patterns of muscle tension and how sometimes one's appropriate, sometimes the other and sometimes the third. Um, but this diagram kind of has freeze as a state of even greater threat than fight or flight, which I found interesting and makes sense. I'm thinking freeze in nature applies to a gazelle or something, some prey animal from a, a lion that's just been caught by a lion and so therefore has no possibility of escape at the moment and is obviously got not much possibility of fight either. And I remember reading somewhere that freeze is the most sensible response in that case because, well, probably you can't save your life because you're going to die anyway. But if you do have the slightest chance, your slightest chance is going to be if the lion gets distracted or something. And so freeze is kind of like playing dead. And once the lion thinks its prey is dead, it's not going to be paying attention to keeping it immobilized and making sure it doesn't run away. And so that this would be a good mechanism to actually ensure survival because if the lion does get distracted, then they can run away. But if the lion doesn't get distracted, they'll get eaten anyway. Um, so that was where the only place I'd kind of thought of as freeze being effective and useful in nature. We wouldn't have such a thing as freeze if it didn't have a value. Anyway, flight and fight a kind of that middle zone of sympathetic danger, hyper arousal. And on the fight side, in order of um, intensity, it goes on the diagram, rage is at the top, then anger, then irritation, and then frustration. And with flight, which is movement away rather than movement towards, it goes panic and then fear and then anxiety and then worry and concern. And I love seeing that because I'm a worrier. My dad was a worrier. I'm actually not. I've been training myself out of it, so I'm not really a worrier, but many people are. And it's good to see it that this is actually simply a version of sympathetic of the flight response on a lower grade than panic. And what happens when we're in fight or flight is blood pressure and heart rate increase and oxygen goes to your vital organs, but away from less vital organs and you, your blood clots better and you dilate your bronchi so you breathe better and you stop or you put on pause your digestion, salivation and your relational ability so you're not, you're not very sociable. But if the level of threat and danger increases, then there's freeze. And within freeze, it's got listed dissociation, numbness, depression, raised pain threshold. So you actually feel painless, helplessness, 
shame, shutdown, hopelessness, preparation for death and feeling trapped, which is also very interesting because those are emotions that so many people have. I don't imagine they're in the state of freeze at all times. I don't know if that's even possible, but maybe they are or maybe they're in and out of it a lot. But it's interesting that those are basically words that we hear a lot from people, helplessness and depression, numbness, hopelessness. And during that state, we tend to be, the, the, the sort of more physiological thing is that we're immobilized, so the muscle tone is decreased. So your muscles actually work less well. Your blood pressure and heart rate go down and your temperature goes down and your facial expression and eye contact goes down. The depth of your breath, um, breath breathing goes down um, and your immune response goes down. So that's great if you're playing dead, but not so great if it goes on more for quite a long time. And then when you're not in any of those states, you're in the social engagement state, which is um, mediated by the ventral part of the vagal nerve, which means the forward part, the front of the body, whereas the fight, flight and freeze are mediated by the backward part of the vagal nerve, which is the dorsal vagal. And in the social engagement state, you feel calm and connected, settled, grounded. You've got curiosity and openness, compassion, and you're mindful and you're in the present moment. So all this practice of um, meditation and mindfulness is probably unnecessary if one is well balanced with one's vagal and the sympathetic states because it happens automatically. You don't need to practice it. So I guess for the modern world, maybe it is good to practice those things. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it, it's interesting to note that it's like a therapy. It's like rehab that we do because we're unhealthy and we live in a disruptive, stressful environment and our lives are abnormal. But it's not something that hunter-gatherers would have ever needed to do because they would have been naturally in that state regardless of, of having to meditate in order to create that state and in that state you've got better digestion better intestinal motility you resist infection your immunity is great you rest and recuperate you've got health and vitality the circulation is good to everything not just your vital organs so including your skin and extremities and you've got oxytocin which is um, a neuromodulator involved in social bonds. And you're great at relating and connecting, great at movement in the eyes and head turning. So interesting. So when you're not in that social engagement state, you're not so good at turning your head and moving your eyes, which would explain a lot of neck tension. This explains the whole of every disease I can think of. How fascinating. And it decreases your defensive responses. And so when you're living with someone who's constantly defensive, not good at relating, not compassionate, not grounded, not mindful or calm, they're probably not um, using their ventral vagal and being in social engagement. They might be in one of the other places. So I found that extremely interesting and I'm hoping that you did as well. And that's it from me for today. Thank you for listening.